Hey, this is Lisa Lee, and you are listening to the Legacy Code podcast. It's a show about upgrading the tech industry by making it more diverse. And today I am joined by Leslie Miley, engineering leader and friend, and I don't know, um, friend in crime, friend in goodness. Friend with cats? Uh, no, actually, only one cat. Friend uh, with wine with and friend cats. Friend with wine and cats. Yeah. yeah. It's, the internet should just explode now. <laughs> yeah. Well, only if you like post really cute pictures of your cat, uh, which I'm sure you, you do all the time. He has his own Twitter account. Yeah, I knew. I, I knew that. Um, so, so sorry that uh, uh, I've been lagging uh, with the episodes. I've been out sick, and also it was at South by Southwest where bumped into lovely Leslie. How was your experience? Uh, it was it was a great experience, mainly because it was warm. That was nice, uh, and and also because there were a lot of people of color. I think more people of color at the South by Southwest than any of the previous three I've been to. I definitely noticed that, uh, but I also stayed through music, so can't really compare. Like the Does, diversity of people who showed up at music was. This would be true. Yeah. Uh, this would be very very true. <laughs> Uh, and even the education part, I was there for the, the last part of the education, which is only one day, which is kind of ridiculous, kind of tells you our priorities in this country sometimes, uh, was very, very diverse. Oh, good. I'm sorry I missed that. So, you know, I think today is interesting because I spent three episodes now talking about, like, the tactical stuff when it comes to diversity in tech. And, you know, it just dawned on me, like, I should probably take a step back and look at... Um, the overarching question of like, can we even do this? Like, is this even possible? So today I think we're, I don't know, I'm asking you and me to put on like the cynical hat here. Is that okay? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's cynical. I think it's realistic. Uh, there's been uh, uh, an effort in Silicon Valley for, you know, the better part of 15 years to improve diversity. Uh, you know, by, by Jesse Jackson in the early part of the aughts um, and by many other people since then. And, and the numbers have not changed materially, and they actually have gotten worse since the dot-com bust. So, so I don't think it's being cynical. I think it's just being realistic that it's, it's a problem that seems intractable at this time. So, yeah, so listeners should know that you've been working uh, in Silicon Valley for the last 15-plus years, right? So you, you, you saw... Uh, I think, you know, what I'm going to call like the first wave of this activism work um, by Reverend Jackson, which I think is really important to point out because for most people, probably, uh, their association with diversity in tech happened two years ago, right? Like with Reverend Jackson coming out and then Google releasing its demographic data. And that was like the start of diversity in this whole conversation, but really it's been around for much longer than that. Is, I mean, and that's the fascinating part, you know, and if you think about, you think about the people who are advocating for diversity today and, and, and I'm definitely happy to have their help. But when Jesse Jackson first showed up in Silicon Valley in 1998 or 1999, uh, they were in elementary school or they were in, you know, grade school, not grade school, they were in middle school. So, so this is, has been an effort that's been going on and, and, and I remember having teams in the early aughts that were 50% women, engineering teams that were 50% women. Wow. And now you don't see that. And, and so something fundamentally has changed. And, 
And and you know you look at the data, you can look at uh, you know the you can look at the companies and what they're doing and all the efforts that they're doing, and their numbers aren't get, even getting back to where they were at the turn of the century. So I think today we want to explore what's up with that, dude. <laughs> what's going on? Um, I don't know. Like how? Like wait, how, uh, how do we unpack this? I. I, I've thought about this this myself, and and I, I've tweeted about it, and I've talked to friends and advisors and and inanimate objects, um, <laughs> mainly <laughs> mainly about um, is is Silicon Valley just just its very exclusiveness uh, is it just does it make it almost impossible to improve the ratio, and and that's that's where I'm starting to land because it. It's not changing. And then you look at how Silicon Valley was formed. You look at the companies. You look at what they value. And it's it's exclusivity. It's always valued exclusivity. Uh, Facebook got its start being exclusive. You know, uh, Google made Gmail invites exclusive. Uh, so, so did Uber, right? Like yeah. when you start, you wanted your own limo driver. And that's a very specific demographic of people who are thinking about that at least. Yeah, I, I mean the the verified check mark on Twitter very exclusive. Um, <laughs> those of you who want one of those, I can't help you. Don't ask. So, so I, I think it's I think it, it it's how do you unpack that? And and maybe you don't. You know, maybe it's just too difficult. So this reminds me of uh, one of my favorite quotes, which is by um, the beloved Albert Einstein, which is that you cannot do the same things and expect a different outcome. Right. And I think that's kind of what you and I are getting at here, which is, uh, we are trying, at least it seems like everyone is trying very similar things and, um, not really looking at the fundamental question of, how are we changing our perceptions about people and whether or not that's possible? I, I, that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, you know, there, there's, there's good data that, that's out there. And, and something that I've noticed myself is that, you know, I, I go into tech companies and, you know, who, is, who are the janitors? They're Hispanic people. They're people from Central and South America and, and, and Mexico. Uh, you know, who are the security people? They're African-Americans. And, and if, if the tech you know, industry sees Hispanics and African Americans and, and women as well. You know, in admin roles, uh, if that's what they see all the time, when I'm sitting in front of them as an engineering leader, or you know, if Lisa's sitting in front of them, do they see us as equals, or do they see us as the help? Do they see us as the people who guard them and who pick up their trash and 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 schedule their appointments? And and that actually may be a part of it as well. Yeah, I actually have an anecdote to share. Uh, the company shall remain anonymous, but uh, there was a team that was looking for a Spanish translation to something that they were working on, and immediately they were like, oh, we need to go to the cafeteria, right? Like, <laughs> that's that's the only place where we can go to get a translation of what it is that we're looking for. So, yes, I think perception-wise, if we cannot... I think break out of this this cage, if you will, of how we fundamentally think about people and their place in society. Uh, there's no way that somebody who's sitting across from you, who looks different from you during an interview process, is going to be able to get the same shot as like you know somebody else who 
looks like everyone else in your company. Yeah, and uh, all the data just supports that. I mean, all the data you see in interviewing and in hiring and in promotions, uh, it all supports that that there's something more at play than than just the pipeline. Um, and and I think an, another thing that that you you want to look at is that how do you start breaking that model? And you don't break the model by trying to get people to come to Silicon Valley. Uh, it's it's a lost cause. I mean, people come here and they look and they say, well, there's nobody like me. You know, where do I get my hair done? I mean, and these are real problems, right? I mean, people are like, I don't have a community here. Why would I want to come here for African-Americans in particular that I can speak uh, of? Um, so, so what I think you... What I would encourage companies to do is start looking outside of Silicon Valley to build their diversity efforts and then import those diversity efforts, you know, back into their headquarters. Uh, it, it's not that difficult. <laughs> it's not that difficult. Uh, but it's it's something that causes them to change. It's going to cause people to change their perceptions because they're going to have to say there are people of color and there are women in areas outside of, you know, the areas that they think are the anointed areas, you know, who are more than qualified to do the jobs that, that uh you know, that are available, like engineering jobs and, and product marketing, product management jobs. This interesting perception question, like, I don't know, it just feels yucky to me. It, it, like, it doesn't feel good to say because for me, it feels really passive. Like, oh, the world has not, right, allowed us to change our perceptions of, like, people of color. And, and it feels like, I don't know. It just feels very like nebulous. <laughs> Chris Rock said something in, a, in an article about a year and a half ago. I think, I think it was December two thousand fourteen. Uh, you know where you know there's this this thing. It's like oh, it's the first African American. This is the first woman. This is. He's like that's that's not really what's happening. It's like we've always been qualified. It's just that you know as he put it, white people got nicer. You know they've started seeing that uh, that that we are capable. You know, and, and even though we've always been capable, just because they're seen, it doesn't mean that we haven't been capable. And I think that's that's the passive part. They don't know. They don't know because their model is the gardener. Their model is the, the security guard. Mm-hmm. Their model's not, you know, the doctor or the lawyer or the engineering director or the VP or the CTO. And and those are the that's that's why I am encouraging people to open up engineering offices outside of Silicon Valley in areas that are more diverse. So that they can see uh, CTOs who are African American, so they can see CTOs who are women uh, and, and Hispanic, uh, and start breaking down their own barriers, right? Because they're not the barriers we have to break; they're the, the barriers they have to break. So, and by the way, like I'm, you know, Java, your cat is like joining our podcast right now. So, if uh, Java has something to say, you listeners might hear it. So, here's here's a question for you, though, because you said that. Um, like 10 years ago, right? The first wave, you know, when Reverend Jackson came to Silicon Valley, like things were a little bit better. The numbers looked a little bit better. So are you saying like perceptions have gotten even worse? Uh, Like how did perceptions work back then when there were more women slash people of color around? Oh, that's a hard question, and it's one that uh, it's one I'm. I'm Sorry, I'm, I'm drinking right yeah, now, so I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit reluctant to wade into, but I'm going to dive into it. Um, I think the more privilege you brought into tech, uh, the worse the problem became. Uh, tech used to be a place where the misfits would go. You know, Steve Jobs said that. You know, and Apple had that that ad campaign a while ago where um, it's the misfits, the weirdos, the outcasts. 
Uh, and that's what I was when I was growing up. Uh, I was a misfit. I was a black kid in a Hispanic neighborhood with the name Leslie. You know, so I, you know, I literally got my ass kicked on the regular because of the name. And, and so I would hide out. And, and that's what engineering used to be. And that's what tech used to be. And now tech is like where the finance guys of the 90s would, you know, are now coming to make their money. Um, it's not it's not the people who are necessarily the weirdos. And we're still here, but we're much more in the minority now. So so I, I think I think that's part of it. Uh, I think a lot of privilege has been injected in the tech community more so than was before, because, you know, if you were privileged and you went to Stanford, you know, in engineering, you were probably really weird. And you were probably a nerd, and you probably didn't bathe as often as you needed to, and you, know, you had all these <laughs> you had all these things about you. But now you go there, and you're in your button-down shirt, and you know you're professional. No, and no, your no, your yeah. pink like polo pop-up collar and yeah. your boat shoes. Yeah, exactly. And then these these are the these are I I'm you know I hire them, I manage them, I see these people, you know, I'm like they're not the guys I came up with. The guys I came up with are, you know, they're neckbeards, is what you call neckbeards. They're people who, you know, have 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 definitely some odd things about them. And and I think injecting that privilege into tech at the rate that we've injected it in with the rise of Google, with the rise of Facebook, with the rise of LinkedIn uh, and Netflix, you know, I mean, we're going to call everyone out here and Apple to a great extent as well. Uh, it, it is really, it, it, they're going to hire who they who they are comfortable with. And they're going to hire people who are look like them, who went to the schools, who have their background. And uh, if you hear the cat, sorry, he does that. I, I think he he's agreeing with you. So dare I say then, like, because I've been thinking about this for a while, and this might be, you know, like unpacking with a Leslie part two, but like any profitable industry, right? Because privilege to me associates um, with like money. So any profitable industry, uh, we're just like, are, are just lost causes when it comes to diversity. <laughs> or should we just, should we just punctuate that and like leave it as a separate thought? Uh, right? Like any, uh, I, any I, I, industry. I, I, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it, uh, finances looks that way. You know, high end law looks that way. I mean, so many industries look that way. Right. Um, you, Yeah. And, yeah, and, I, and the article that we were just talking about before we hopped on the mic is what 58% of blue collar kind of contract service workers that a lot of these tech companies in Silicon Valley employ, right? The cafeterias, the, the janitors, the security people, 58% are people of color. So like, <laughs> what does that mean? You know, <laughs> I, it's, uh, but it's, I, I chafe at that uh, because you know, having spent you know time and, and lived in New York for a while. Did you just say chafe like running like chafing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're such a nerd. <laughs> uh, I, I, I chafe at that because you know you go to New York and it, it, it's not that it's, the problem's not that acute, and there's a lot of money in New York, and you know people are like oh we're afraid of the Manhattanization of, of San Francisco, um, and 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 I'm like they have somehow have figured it out, and I don't know how. Uh, and maybe it's because they, you know, I, maybe it's just the density of people there. Maybe it's, you know, the density of schools there. You know, I, I don't know, but they seem to have figured it out. Uh, and we haven't been able to do that. Maybe it's a concrete jungle and everyone has to come and, you know, like everyone is has to give it give it a shot <laughs> for their dreams. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that, I do think population has a big, 
you know, part to do with it. I mean, the proximity to the South, the proximity to, uh, you know, the, the Caribbean, the proximity to Europe, you know, so you, you get much more diversity. And people are used to seeing that. They're used to seeing, you know, Hispanic. They're used to seeing Latino. They're used to seeing, you know, African-Americans and Caribbean, you know, people from the islands. Uh, out here, we're not. I mean, people come out here and they're not used to seeing diversity. And, and even uh, there was a, a gentleman who wrote uh, 100 Days as a Black Man in Silicon Valley last year. And, and he, he said, yeah, he's like, I was shocked. I don't see any middle class black people here or upper middle class black people. Uh, I, it's like the only black people I see are on the street. You know, and he's, he's upper middle class. He's from Georgia. And this is, this is his experience as well. So, so I think that's just part of it. People don't see it. And when you said it's passive, I think that's the passive part of it. They don't even know they don't see it. Yeah. One of my pet peeves is hearing from people um, who I meet here in the Bay and are, you know, for transplants from other states or cities. And they're like, I love San Francisco. It's like so diverse. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Seriously? So I, I think you're right um, in that people don't even realize what they don't see. It sort of reminds me of Crash the movie. I mean, some people love it. Some people don't. But we are in a city where you do not have to be in other neighborhoods if you don't want to, right? Like the way that we commute, um, the way people get on buses, the way that the BART system is designed, it's, you know, you can completely avoid pockets of uh, people of color if you want to. Um, And I remember spending a little bit of time with Congresswoman Barbara Lee where she said, Honestly, the state of, of um, California and here specifically in the Bay is very hostile to people of color. And, and I will never forget her usage of that word because I was like, yeah, you know, she's, she's right. It's hostile. It's, it, it is hostile. Uh, and my, my anecdote to that is my younger brother opened a barbershop in, uh, in Silicon Valley down in the South Bay. Uh, you know, obviously, he's African-American. And it was a barbershop for African-Americans. And he's 10 minutes from Google, 15 minutes from Apple, 20 minutes from Facebook, 10 minutes from Yahoo, went out of business in a year. Because there's no one's hair to cut. Um, and, and that's the struggle. And, and that's the hostility that I've been speaking of. And that's the hostility that I see. Um, every day, it's not—it's not just the hostility of you know the people at work. The people at work don't know how to deal with you because you are different. Um, you don't get the services that you need as as a, as a minority or a Latino or a Latina because there's not a, enough there. And and more so than in any of that, there's no community. I, I mean, I—the reason I love Twitter is that I'm finally in touch with a middle class black community for the first time in my professional life. So essentially, well, I'm curious, why, why did he open it in the first place, knowing like how abysmal the, the numbers are? Well, he didn't know. I mean, he, he's, he's not a data person. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a data person. You he, didn't, did you not do your job as well, I was the telling older brother? Him, I, I did. I was like, hey, man, Matthew, when was the last time you saw like five black people together? I mean. <laughs> you know? So morbid. Yeah. So he, morbid. It, it is. It's true. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you saw, I mean, it's, they're, they're, I'm not going to call, call them out by name. But I may. No, I'm not going to call him out by name, but he, he issued a challenge to, uh, a friend of mine issued a challenge. He's like, if you can name five middle-class black people in San Francisco, I'll take you out to a really nice dinner. 
I mean, I got a really nice dinner out of the deal, um, but it's because I'm in the community and, and I know, you know, a lot of people, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it, that anyone would want to issue that challenge, uh, says that there's a problem and, and it is hostile. And, and I, I, I tell entrepreneurs who I advise these, you know, today, I, I, I'm, don't come to Silicon Valley. Just don't. It's hostile. Create your companies in your communities. You know, build the community there. And Silicon Valley will actually reach out to you if you're successful. Uh, the, the venture capitalists are about money, and they will find their way to you. Uh, and it may not be the, the advice they want, but I think it's easier for them to... The hardships they have in their own communities, they will have here as well. But in their own communities, they will have support. Yeah. Whereas here, they, it, it's hard to find. So the two takeaways... Uh, think about five middle-class black people. And if you can't, then, you know, you know what you have to do. Uh, And the second is, I guess it's not all um, bad news, right? If we were to be completely realistic, it is that, you know, we just can't continue to do the same things and expect different results. And, uh, you know, I think part of your tactical solution here that you're offering and putting on the table is meet the communities where they are, and, you know, don't expect that people are just going to find their way to Silicon Valley. And if they're not here, then they're stupid for not realizing an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to call out a, a couple of people. Uh, Jack Dorsey, you know, open up something in Atlanta or Detroit or St. Louis or Chicago. And when I say open up something like engineering, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, thank you so much for putting data centers in the middle of North Dakota. Um, how about putting an engineering office, you know, in Cleveland? Uh, it's, it is actually that simple and there is talent there and there's talent that will go there. And here's what will happen. Uh, you will open up an office there. It will grow your people from your home offices will move out there because they believe in this. And then the people from those offices will bring diversity back to your headquarters. It's not hard. Uh, it's just going to take a little bit of getting out of the comfort zone. Uh, but call me, I'd be more than happy to help. You're so nice. I will leave uh, our listeners with this thought as well. Uh, 60% of African Americans live in the South. The end. So, you know, got to go where the communities are. So to close off today's podcast, I know you and I can probably talk forever. um, But, you know, as we continue drinking and uh, this conversation will probably just end in a very different place. What is the one thing that you have changed your mind about recently and it doesn't have to do with diversity or tech or anything for that matter? The thing that I've changed my mind about, um, I, said, I, I don't think, I used to think we came really far as, as a country when it comes to gender and race. And I realized that the bitterness that my father was exhi- has exhibited over the last 15 years and 20 years may actually have been uh, well-placed bitterness. Uh, he lives in Ferguson, uh, so he sees a totally different reality than I do. And, and my mind has changed a lot. I, I think that, that we haven't come as far as we thought, and you know, we bought into a false security that things were better, and if, if current events in the last two years is any indication, you know, we're still sitting in 1973. 
Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, cheers and have <laughs> more wine. You are listening to the Legacy Code podcast and Leslie Miley, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a good time to talk with you. I always learn something new. And, um, you know, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, check us out on whatever, whatever, whatever is out there. And shoot me some questions or shoot me some thoughts. Would love to hear what you have to say about this episode or anything else. All right. On that note, I'm going to go drink some more. Bye. Bye.